as we continue in our journey here in the book of Exodus. If you remember last week, we saw that Moses was what? A great mediator for God's people. God had him as a leader to be a mediator for his people, and God's leaders are to be mediators for, in that respect of being there available in the flesh to, in, to, to, to be there available for the people. We know in the scriptures that Jesus is our great mediator. We know that for a fact, but he raises up people to help kind of help be there and along, alongside of you to encourage you to know the fact that Jesus is your great mediator. In heaven, he is mediating and he's interceding for us in an incredible way. And so, as a leader of God, he is also, we'll see here in chapters 33 and 34, not only a mediator, but the great intercessor for his people. And God used him as a leader to encourage the people and intercede and go to God and pray for his people. And that's what God's leaders are supposed to be doing. Uh, for the people that God brings under the, uh, uh, the leadership or under the, uh, the development or the umbrella of encouraging in regards to being fed and, and being encouraged as, as a body of believers. So we see here that um, as, as this leader Moses goes to God to, to mediate and to, to intercede, he is an example of a leader that needs to now be a reflection of God's grace and his mercy. And we see that played out. And it's so true today. God's leaders should be an example or that people should see a leaders being in, uh, interceding and mediating and, 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 and relying upon God's grace and mercy that would encourage you and encourage them to what? To seek after God with all of their heart and mind, soul, and strength because they see the leader doing it. There's got to be an encouragement. Mom, dads, if you're not interceding for your children, if you're not mediating for your children and bringing them to the Lord and, 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 and raising them up and they don't see you in the word of God, you don't see you praying, you don't see you relying on the, upon the grace and the mercies of God, how are they going to learn? You must do the same thing as the leader of your house. Men, you've got to be the leader of your house. You must. As hard and as difficult as it is, but by the grace of God, he'll, he'll teach you. As you stay in the word of God and as you continue to seek him in prayer, he will change you and mold you and shape you to be that godly leader for your family. And you'll be able to raise up godly children who will go out into society and have their own families and they'll be godly families raising godly children according to the ways of God. And so we'll see this played out here in these, cha these two chapters. It's really wonderful. And I pray that the Lord just Spirit is just going to touch your heart and speak to you how it, he needs to speak to you specifically this morning. But we see here in chapter 33, verses 1 through 3, we see now at this point, if you remember at the end of 32, there was consequences for their sin, their idolatry, their, their wickedness of going against God. And God warned them, if you raise up any other gods, if you worship anything else other than me, you put something else in number one in your life than me, there's going to be consequences that are going to happen. And we saw that over 3,000 people died by the sword of the Levites who all stood up for God at that point in time and God allowed a plague to hit the people and we don't have any clue how many died from that. Now once comes, there's a death that comes when you're, a death of, you know, that is, it can happen because of the consequences of the decisions you make of going against God's word. And so we see here now a restoration and a renewing or restored and renewed fellowship with God that's going to take place here in these next two chapters. Because they have really made some bad decisions and caused a separation. It caused this, this that needs a, a point of reconciliation. And Moses stood strong because and, and, he had experienced the, what God had given him through this journey, through this desert at this point in time, and then the mountaintop experience. He was strong in the Lord and he was strong in interceding, strong in mediating and coming to God for his people. And God needed, needed Moses to be where he was at. The people needed Moses as a leader to be where he was at. Because there were some troubling times. There was a plague across the board. How more important it is for people who are going and experience a plague to have leaders that are weak. That it would never go well for a society. 
A weak leader is never good for society. And it's certainly not good for the church as well to have your leader of a church. If I'm not strong in the Lord and put my trust in him and I have full faith and confidence that he is in control of my life and remind you he's in control of your life if you allow him. Because if I'm weak and say, oh, we're all doomed, brothers and sisters. Let's go get our bunkers and let's get all of our food and let's get our guns and, and everything else. And let's just storm the castles here. Then you would look at me like this man has lost his mind. God is in control. Amen. We have confidence in him. We, we, stay, we stay very strong. And we're going to see this played out because Moses stayed strong in his relationship with God and stayed strong to the truth of God of who he is. That caused the people to be drawn back to God. Not complicated. This is not complicated. It's only complicated and hard because the fighting of the flesh and the fighting of fear. Because you lost faith in who God is. Because you may not know God. You may know of God. You may not know God personally. And that's why fear and trembling and all the things that society can really take you on a one-world tour of emotions. And if that's speaking to you today, if that's speaking to you today, you need to come back to the Lord. You need to get grounded back in knowing who God is and his character. Because we're going to see that played out here as well. So Exodus 30. 33 chapter, verses 1 and, 1 and 3. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, and you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt into the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Parasite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up. To a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So Lord is not, you know, he's not, it's just sharing just love, you know. <laughs> he's speaking truth in love right here. Okay, so <laughs> he's telling it right flat out straight. If you can't handle this truth, God is, doesn't, God's not going to hold back. And you, know, you know me, I'm not going to hold back either. I'm going to tell you exactly what the word of God says. I know it may hurt your, your feelings at times because the word does sit there and does a little surgery on you at times and it does hurt. But that's how the spirit of God works. But see, notice here, the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. It says, now we're moving on, okay? This situation happened, the things that happened, the idolatry, the lifestyle, the, the, the sexual immorality that was taking place, that happened. There was consequences, now we move on. I love that when I see that, because God is saying, now let's move on. We have a place I'm taking you. I'm going to still take you to the promised land because I'm faithful and I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. So if you as a Christian have messed up, you have sinned and you've come to it and you're facing the consequences because the conviction is overwhelming, okay, repent, move on, we're going because God has a plan and a working in your life, move on, stop dwelling in your past sin, stop dwelling where you're at, it's time to move on to where I have you to go and that is to much better life than what uh, you have been living. And I want to encourage you on that. Just let's move on. And that's what God is saying to Moses and to the people. It's time to move on. I have brought you out of Egypt. Just as I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I gave him them a, a promise. And I am going to keep that promise. And to all the descendants, I will give this promised land. And he says there in verse 2 that I'm going to send my angel before you. Meaning before you, I'm going to take care of all your enemies that are in front of you, which you don't even know or even exist. But let me tell them what they are. And I'm going to go have my angel take care of this for and pave a way to make a way because it is going to happen. You are going to go to the promised land. Guaranteed. Have that settled in your heart. Guaranteed. And as a Christian, guaranteed, 
Forget your past. Move on. You're going to heaven. Keep your eyes on heaven. You have no idea how that's going to all happen, when that's going to happen. Keep your eyes on heaven. God isn't going in front of you. He'll move all your enemies away. He's going to protect you and provide for you, and he's going to get you there. And when you get there, it's going to be glorious. And why, don't, why, why do you question him? Why do you question him? When his word tells you, as a child of God, you're going to heaven. Why would you question that? His, his truth is still truth, regardless of how you feel at that moment in time. You get to move on. And so that he's encouraging him here, because after the sin of the golden calf, God did not deny the children of Israel the promised land. He didn't deny them it. He said they would, could continue on to possess what he had promised them to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob here. But notice here when he says, after the sin of the golden calf, God did not deny his protection either. He says, I'm going to send an angel ahead of you to take care of your enemies. I'm going to still protect you. I'm still going to take you to the promise that I've given you. So you just hold on. Isaiah 63, 9 looks back at this exodus moment here, and it says, In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. Angel of his presence. His being capital H, meaning God, divinity. His presence is what protected them. Stay in God's presence. It's such a protection that you have and, we, and you and I have. And he says, I will not go up in your midst in, in, in verse 3. Why? Because you're stiff-necked. You are stubborn, is what God is calling his people. You're stubborn. And I love the, the word for that, that original language is not so much stubborn, but unresponsive to God. When someone's stiff-necked, they say, well, what do you mean I'm stiff-necked? You're stubborn. No, I'm not stubborn. <laughs> right. right there, you just proved it. Yeah? <laughs> there was no humbleness there at all in your response. But I say it's more accurate is an unresponsiveness to God. That when someone hears the word of God or someone's talking about the things of God, you're stiff-necked when you go, I'm unresponsive. I'm not even going to, I'm going to ignore it like you're not even talking about God. I know you're trying to encourage me in the things of God, but I am not hearing you. i got things to do. That's stiff-neckedness. Someone, God has brought something in your life to encourage you or to rebuke you or to do something that God is using into your life to help you, and you're stiff-necked if you just go, I'm not even responding to that person. The things of what God's trying to get to, to me. You can read the radio station, and it's the exact same thing your, your mother or your father just told you. You're now listening to the radio, and you hear the exact same thing from some pastor you've never heard of saying the exact same thing, and you're still unresponsive. You're stiff-necked. So God says, because of this, I'm not going up with you in your midst. Does that mean God left them? No. It means that he says, I'm just going to keep a distance from you. I'm with you, but I'm just going to be a distant feeling. God, why do I feel like God's distant from me today? Is it because you're stiff-necked? That you haven't been, you've been unresponsive to what God has asked you to do, and you've been disobedient, and now you're sensing Him just pulling back from and saying, Okay, you want to do it your way? Okay, we'll just pull back here and we'll let you just wander out there a little bit. You ever watch a child? They think they can just, just go anywhere they want to in a store, can't they? <laughs> and it's like, Okay, let's see how far they go. And you know, they always say, don't worry, don't worry. Little Johnny, he ain't going to go too far. He may act like he's going to, but he'll turn around and look and make sure where's mom and dad. Because they know getting too far is not a good, comfortable thing. Until they get to a point where they become so bold and they overcome that fear and they do walk away. See, there's that thing, that, that fine line of how far do you push before you really are walking away. Uh, from the things of God. So we can see that God says, because you're, 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 I will not be in my, 
I won't be in your midst. I won't be right there like I have been, dwelling right there in the pillar of cloud, the, the, in the fire that by night, in the cloud by day. I was there leading you and guiding you and protecting you and doing all these things. Now I'm just going to pull back a little bit, and you're going to have to do it on your own a little bit, in your own, your own way. And that's a challenge. Because many times people say, yes, I, I know God. And I used to be on fire for God. I used to want him to be so close. And I want to sense his presence all day long. And I talked to him all day long. I worshipped him all day long. I was in his word every day. I just loved the presence of God. And the people of God. I wanted to hear the word all the time. I was devouring it. But not so much today. I'm busy. I got things to do. I got a bucket list that just keeps me just kind of, I'd like to be there. <laughs> you ever made those statements? Oh, I'd love to go. I'd love to help. The challenge is this. Many people have a relationship with God if there's a blessing that they get from it. They keep showing up. But if they don't have a personal blessing, something that they don't personally get out of it, then they don't come. They don't have a desire to do it. But let me remind you and encourage you. If God, you receive all of these blessings upon you from God because of his grace and his mercy, they are of no value if God's not in it. They're about to receive milk and honey, the land of milk and honey. But if God's not with them in that, that land of milk and honey, what value is the milk and honey? They're about to possess the promised land. If God's not in the promised land, what value is the promised land? If God has blessed you with a family, if God's not in it, what blessing are you going to get from that family? God's got to be in everything, my brothers and sisters. You can't just sit in there and say, pour out your blessings, God, and then just think it's like a spigot turning on and off and you'll get it when you want it and when you don't want it, you just turn it off. And Everything that you possess that God has given you and it's a blessing upon you, it's only a value because God's in it. And to have a desire to have something and then God, no, please, no, no. You don't need to be part of this. You, you're, you're not on track, my brothers and sisters. You're off track. And that, what you think is a blessing, will become a tremendous burden upon you. It'll become a weight around you. And it will sink you until you repent and let Go of whatever it is. In verse 4, and when the people heard this bad news, so when the people heard that God was not going to be in the midst of them as they were going to the promised land, this was not good news, this was bad news for them. They mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. There was no reason to be all dolled up today because I am depressed and I am all bad news and I'm mourning of the separation or the death, that feeling of lostness, right? You lose someone, even if it's not by death literally, but if you lost a relationship, it's like mourning of that, that, at that moment. And so this right here in their response, verse 5, For the Lord said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. So he's reminding them again. It's sedating it twice, which takes notice when you repeat himself. Take notice. There's a reason you're supposed to learn from this. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. <laughs> that's, a, that's the reason why I'm not going to be right in the midst because of your, your stance and your position of where you are in your sin in your life, if I came into your midst, you, I would consume you out. You're supposed to be pure, and you're not pure. I would consume you. You don't want me to show up in your midst. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. 
So right there, that was bad news. This is not good. We're, we need to get rid of these ornaments. There's, there's those earrings. Remember the earrings they just broke off and gave to make the golden calf? And the inklets and all the other things that they all kept, you know, were wearing? Get it off because we have nothing to celebrate here because we're about having God not to be in our midst. God's not going to be with us in this going to the promised land. This is bad news for us. Notice two things so far. The first thing is they had to recognize they were a sinner. They're a stiff-necked people. That's very important in the, rest, the reconciliation with God. To be restored or to be not only restored to be, and be renewed, this restoring process, you have to start with reconciliation. So the very first step you must do is recognize you're a sinner, a stiff-necked person. They did that. They brought to light to that. God, God, you know what's interesting is when people come to Christ or come to this conviction, how God works is never to a person and shows you all your sin all at one time. He usually focuses right in on a very specific sin in your life, and he brings light to that. That's what brings people to repentance and, and change of life. And as you grow and mature in your relationship with God, he brings to light the other sins or things that need to be corrected. I think it's a, by the grace and the mercy of God. Can you imagine if he loaded down on you all of your sin at one time? But no, he zeroes in on one thing so you can be so clear. I see that right there. So they're a stiff-necked people. God zeroed right in on it. This is what your problem is right now that's causing a relationship, an issue with me. Second step, notice here in this verse here, at the end of verse of, 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 of 4 through 6, but specifically verse 4, they, they, they stripped themselves of the ornaments, they mourned, they, but this is bad news, why? Because they recognize the next step of reconciliation means change. You're a sinner that needs to change. Those are the first two steps in reconciling or being restored in your relationship with God. Are you clicking with me? Am I going too slow here? I probably am because I, I got two chapters to go and we got communion. Woo! We're going to be here all day. I love it. I've been waiting all week for this. Verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. Notice what the leader does. He recognizes, he's hearing, he knows what's going on, and it draws Moses to what? I want to get alone with God, and I need to hear from God for my God's people. So he sits there, and Moses takes his tent. How big the tent? We don't know. How far outside of the camp? We don't know. But it's far enough to recognize that it was outside of the, of the camp far enough away, but we'll notice in the scriptures that they could at least still see Moses from a distance and the cloud of God's presence coming. So it wasn't, it wasn't miles away where, oh, where did Moses go? It wasn't another mountaintop. Where did he go? We have no idea. No, he could see him and he pitched that tent. So Moses took that next step toward this revival and restoring of the people, a relationship between the people and God. And he initiated it as a leader to make this all happen by taking his own tent and creating, he called it the tabernacle of meeting. Even though it wasn't the tabernacle itself that God gave Moses the instructions of how to build. That's the next five chapters. But he took the tent and said, I'm starting now separating outside, setting aside where God and I can spend some time together and hear from him so I can do what he says he wants me to do. And I hope you have that place, that spot, that closet where you can go and shut the closet door and you can sit there and it's just you and the Lord with no distractions. And the Lord shows up and speaks to you. That little spot in your house where you sit in your comfy chair and you open a Bible and the Bible's always there and you just sit there and you just read. Maybe it's a walk in the park. I don't know where it may be, but find that place you consistently do it daily where you can set aside a quiet place for you and the Lord and be still. But we see here Moses doing this. 
we see that God told Moses to make the tabernacle of meeting right there on the Mount Sinai. But here Moses says, I'm going to just take the extra step, the extra measure to seek after God, and I'm going to start and start showing and demonstrating and doing what God's want us to do until we can get the things built. I'm going to have this tent that people can come out and meet with me to get instructions about God's truth, and I can meet with God, and God can dwell and, and speak with me at that moment in time. So right there in verse 8, so it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. Like I said, it was close enough for him to step to see but they weren't leaving their tents. They're just going to watch from a distance. Let's just see what God does to Moses before we do anything. Let's just keep a distance here, right? And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. Oh, you know that that's sweet. Where you're just sitting, you go in in your quiet place and God speaks to you by his word. I hope you, that's what you look for and desire every day. God, I just want to sit here and I want to hear your voice talk to me by your word. That's what he was doing to Moses right there, wasn't he? It's a beautiful moment right here, right? And verse 10, And all the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and what? And worshipped each man in his tent door. So what did this leader do when he went to go meet with God? And then they watched and saw how God responded in his life. What did it cause them to do? They were watching. Let's see what it's going to do. Is he going to get torched? Is he going to get, you know, condemned? No. God is dwelling. God is in present. God is moving. And they fell down in what? Worshipped. So when you start step one and you know you're a sinner, you've got sin in your life that needs to come out, step one, recognize it. Two, number two is what? Change. You recognize you need to change and God is the only one that can change you. Step three will bring you to what? Worship. You will worship God. Steps one, two, three. Dance with the Lord. Be dancing and singing and worshiping and drawing close because he wants to draw close to you. Scripture says, anyone who draw close to me, I will draw close to. That's right. You're going to, he's going to. It's not a question, my brothers and sisters. Don't let the enemy sit there. Oh, yeah, he'll do it with everybody else but me. Don't, 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 don't let the enemy do that. Or maybe you're saying, well, I've tried that. But it didn't work for me. Don't let the enemy trick you. Keep showing up regardless of how you feel. Have you heard me say that a few times over the years? And watch God show up. Verse 11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his enemy, friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, here comes Joshua man, the right-hand man of, of Moses shows up here, the son of Nun. A young man did not depart from the tabernacle. First of all, now we didn't even know Joshua's out there with Moses at there, but Joshua, his right-hand man, did not leave Moses' side. Why? Because God used him to help and support Moses throughout the entire ministry. And here he is at the, the tent. He probably helped him set up the tent. He was right there with them. He was in the presence and experiencing what God was doing. Whenever he showed or however he showed, all we know right here in the scripture is that this faithful servant, key word servant Joshua, describing how Joshua was, he was a servant. So notice here that when he sat there, Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Was it face to face? Literally, no. It's figurative. It's like saying it is personal. It's a personal conversation that was taking place. God wasn't some God from a distance. God wasn't someone who was talking to everyone else but him. Oh, yes, God speaks to you. He never speaks to me. I don't know why. No, God says, I'm going to speak to you like a friend, a personal one-on-one -on -one kind of moment. If you will just be still enough 
and quiet your life enough so that I can talk to you. Are you with me? And so we see here that the servant Joshua, this young man, as Moses went back to camp, he did not leave. He did not go. He stayed there with Joshua, stayed there to take care of the tent. Did he need to secure the tent? Did he need to, to do something in some way that that was it? But let me give you the fourth step. You're a sinner, you recognize you're a sinner, step one. Step two, what? You need to change, biblical change. Let God change you. Don't let the world change you. Don't let the world tell you how to change. Biblically change, biblical change, that's called discipleship, right? We're doing that Wednesday nights. I hope you're following along on Wednesday nights. We're gathering here on Wednesday nights as well. So if you want to come here on Wednesday nights, you can do that. But just know, biblical change is step two. Step three you turns you into worshiping God and, have, and just worshiping him, drawing close to him. Step four is seen right here in the life of Joshua and Moses. And what is that? It will cause you a desire to what? Serve. You be a servant, fill in your name. Servant Joshua. Servant and fill in your name. Are you at that fourth step? Are you there in your relationship with God where you're worshiping and then he speaks to you and and says, I have good works for you? Not good things to do. Everyone has good things to do. I'm talking good works from God that puts the desire in your heart and gives you, equips you and empowers you to go do it using the spiritual gift or gifts he's given you. And did you notice? I didn't say there's an age limit, is there? I remember a five-year-old working harder than most men building out a church in California. Or eight-year-old, I should say. There's not an age limit here. They love the Lord and they want to serve the Lord. We let them come alongside and encourage them to do that. Because God wants to do the work through and through their lives. Now, Moses could not see the actual face of God the Father in his glory. Because no one has seen the face of God the Father in glory. And this is why John wrote in John 4, 1 John 4, 12, no one has seen God at any time. Verse 12, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, You say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. Your way. The way. Right? That's the original, language, the original name of the church was the, the way. It was as a way it was describing those, the followers of God, the way. He says, why? Because they were following his way. And that's where Moses says, show me now your way that I may know you. Not may I may know where we're going. What it meant by show me, show me now your way means I want to know you more personally at a deeper level than I've ever before. Are you with me? This is not about religion. It is not about following a formula. It is about a relationship and knowing your way, God, because I want to know you more than ever before. And that I may find grace in your sight and consider this nation is your people. And so many times people say, I never listen, read the Old Testament. It's all about grace and it's all about the New Testament only. They're lost. They obviously don't know the word of God because the word grace and the speaking of grace and God showing grace in the life of Moses is all the way back in the very beginning, even in Genesis. So don't listen to people who say, oh, I only listen to read the New Testament because that's the only time I talk and you know anything about grace, man. No. It starts at the very beginning of Genesis. It all works all the way through to Revelation. That's why we get the whole counsel of God. 
Because Moses says it wasn't enough to know that he and Israel would make it to the promised land. It wasn't enough for him to say, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to live my life however I want to. <laughs> you get, are, you, are you getting me? It's like, it's like, it's like it should be a hit to you. So many times, I, 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 it doesn't matter, I got, I'm going to heaven. That's all that matters to you in your relationship with God is that you've got fire insurance? That you have some new home that you're going to go to in heaven and that's good enough for you? No, be like Moses. That is not good enough. You want to know God at a deeper level now. Moses is saying, I want to know not the fact that I'm just going to the promised land. Not the fact that I'm just going to get there. I want to know you're with me when we go there. And I want to know you at a deeper level on my journey on the way there. And Sir Moses is pressing and pressing and pressing God out to this point. I want to know exactly who God you are going to send with us to know I have that promise. And I know you and know what's going to happen. I don't want anybody else. I don't want anything else. I don't want anything except you. But that's what... We have to understand that the steps toward this revival, this restoration of Israel's relationship with God, they had to come to this point. And Moses was bold and drawing near to God and just saying in this boldness, I want your grace, God. God, I need to just show me your grace and be pour out your grace upon my life. I need to know you more. In verse 14, he said, my patience will go with you. My, I'm sorry. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Is that not the best statement right there? I, I underline it. Go through it. If you're going through some troubling times right now, and you just can't rest because you're just all turmoil, can you just go back and read that over again? My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. I know you're thinking of multiple scriptures in the New Testament about Receiving his, his rest, aren't you? Then he said to him, <laughs> then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? There's not grace apart from God. God's presence in your life, there is no grace. Don't fool yourself. That's what Moses is saying. I, I, we're not fooled here. We know if we're going to go to the promised land, if you're not with us, we, are not, we shouldn't go. We'll just stay right here in the desert experience. So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. What separates us from the other Gentile people? Is your presence, your grace. What separates us from non-believers is God's grace. We're all sinners, but we've been saved by grace. Do, do you see the connections here? Are you, are you making the connections? Verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. Oh, God Moses was literally praying in the will of God. And whatever you ask in the will of God, you will what? Receive. Did you not see, just see that right happen? Moses was praying in the will of God, and what did he do? He says, God says, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Are you guys loving this? I'm loving this. Did you know this is my favorite book? I mean, just look at these verses as you go through this. This is, this is an incredible book as we've been going through this. And I'm really sad in the fact that we're going to be wrapping this up. I know you by name, Moses. And you have found my grace. I see your life. I know your life. And I will be with you. Wow. 
such comfort and peace and joy that must have filled this man's life at this moment in time. Verse 18, and he said, Moses said what? I have had enough. Nope. In verse 18, he bold, emboldens him even more. And he, Moses says, please show me your glory. Moses wanted everything that God would give him. And it wasn't possessions. It wasn't position. And it wasn't power. It was purely God he wanted. That's all he wanted. He wanted such a tight relationship, and he asked for his God's glory. Moses won a yes answer from God when he asked for the special presence of God to remain with Israel on the way to the promised land. Yes, he got a yes. Okay, Whew. I asked one question. He, it was in his will. Praise the Lord. Great. God's going to be with us going into the promised land. Then he asked, I would like to have your grace poured out upon me and, and be with there. And what does God say? You have found my grace. You're in my, I know your name. Moses, you and I are tight. We're friends. We're good. This is all good. So he asked the third one. I want to see your glory. Moses' hunger for more of God is an experience with God is truly a clear indication of complete revival and restoration of relationship with God. Because if you have not been restored, if there has not been a revival in your heart, you do not ask for God's grace. You don't ask to see his glory. Why? Because you know you'll be consumed and torched. In some form or fashion, your mind says, how can I go in there when I know I've got stuff in my life that is not pleasing to God? You wouldn't ask for, to see his glory. You would just keep enough distance because the sin would hold you back. And we see here, Moses is praying for the Chikabad that manifestation of the glory, of the weight, the substance of Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, the Yahweh, the, the full substance and the weight of God. And then, verse 19, then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. <laughs> I love that term. It's all good, right? He says, I'm going to pass all good right by you. All the goodness of me. My goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he, but he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. So he says, I want to see your glory. And God says, I got that, Moses. I got how your heart just desires to see me face to face, but not yet. You can't do that. You, you, you're not perfected yet. When I bring you into heaven, that's a whole other issue. But right now, I would consume you. That would not be good. I'm just going to pass my goodness past you. I'm just going to go past. Because God didn't, you know... He didn't sit there and say, well, you know, Moses, let me get my point across to you. I'm going to rev up some really, some really high-powered kind of pyrographics, you know, fire and brimstone coming down, and that will get your attention. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, let me show you the power that I have, and I will rattle this land so bad that you'll then know I'm here present. No, God didn't say that. God says, as a friend, he says, I'll show you my goodness. The character of God in the Old Testament is the same in the New Testament. Sometimes people think they must find some kind of a balance with God. I'm out of balance with God. And somehow, what's the term? 
not coming to my mind. A yin and yang. You ever heard that term, yin and yang, of the Middle Eastern, not Middle Eastern, but the Eastern philosophies of, of life where they're trying to find the balance in the, of God in the universe? The sense of light and dark, or good and evil, or law and grace. God is always in balance. God is always solid. The only time you feel or I feel unbalanced is because we're wrong. Everything else is in control. God's in complete control. The question is, is, are you willing to change to get in line with God's will? And that's where you find more balance in your life. That will come right. Verse 21, and the Lord said, Here is a place by me. And you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So God didn't just sit there and say, what are you asking? Are you out of your mind? You're not going to see my glory. I'll consume you. He says, let me show you my goodness and I'm going to pass by you. I'll give you a glimpse. That's all you need that will not hurt you, but absolutely bless you. And so what did he do? He gave him instructions. He says, I want you to stand on the... Are you making the connection here? Is your life with Jesus Christ, are you standing on the rock? Are you with me? So Moses here, I'm going to have you stand on the rock. Solid man. Solid foundation. I'm going to have you stand right here. So while it was, I'm, while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. You know what a cleft of the rock is, right? It's, an, it's a cutaway where you're inside and you're surrounded by this rock, the, of, of the cleft of the rock. You're like you're a covering of protection around you. And all you can see is what? What's in front of you. Are you with me? You have the mind, a picture in your mind? And he says, when you, I have you placed there, you will, I'm going to cover you with my hand. Not only am I going to put you under a cleft, a, 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 some boundaries, I'm going to put my hand over you so you do not get the full blunt of my glory. The, full, the fullness of my glory. And then what happens? While I pass by, then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. Will you actually see his back? No, the original language is an afterglow. You will experience the afterglow. After I've passed by, you will see a glowing presence of my, just the back of what I, not my physical back, not me personally. You'll see the afterglow of the fact that I was just passed by. presence of God and that is all you can handle Moses <laughs> it's only my afterglow man at this point in time but my face you shall not be seen see this image this, this amazing image of 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 God showing, notice here, the protection by his hand of God. The hand of God protecting him, hiding him away in the rock of refuge that he's provided for him in the cleft. And the shelter in that cleft of the rock. Notice this, let me take you through this. He was protected by God. Moses endured the glory of God as he passes before him. Who else saw the, the glory of God pass before him? Isaiah, right? Isaiah 6, remember his, he moved him to, to mourn of his own sin and unworthiness when the, the presence passed by Isaiah. 
John experienced this same thing. If you remember in John, in Revelation 1.17, when we studied that on Wednesday night there, we were talking, when we went through the seven churches, God experienced some of the glory of God when he fell at the feet of Jesus like a, what? A dead man, remember? Paul experienced the same glory of God passing when? 2 Corinthians 12, remember what happened in the Damascus Road? overwhelming and knocked him off his high horse and he was blinded by it wasn't he we should also have this earnest deep desire to experience God's presence Paul made it clear that we cannot fully see the glory of God, but we would be seeing him like a dimly polished metal, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, when he says, but we can see something of it. I love Colossians 3.3. For you died and your life is what? Hidden with Christ in God. Get the imagery here. God's hand. Guiding and protecting Moses. Places him in a cleft of protection of where he will receive that protection from God as he passes by. But also for us, the cleft for us when we see the presence of God is what? The cross. The cross is what protects us. The cleft is what protected Moses. And we see God working. And the only way we'll ever see anything of God's glow or glory is to be hidden in Jesus. You must be hidden in Jesus. And you will receive his glory. You will see that glow. And that's what's the beautiful thing here. The word could just as well or more accurately be rendered as this afterglow. And let me give you two final verses and we'll do communion. We're not going to get to chapter 34 today. I could go for another hour. I really could. That's not a problem for me. But I know you're not in your comfy chair at home now, so you can't go to the restroom. I, I got that. See, can only endure so far, right? Let me give you John 1.14 verse. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the second one that I thought was really pertinent at this moment in the verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord.